0: all right let's get the party started hello and welcome
1: to the addicts Noms podcast i'm your host jamar today is episode 70 and we're going to be interviewing trevor p what's going on trevor
2: Uh, just a beautiful
1: sunday morning be- beautiful sunday morning where are you from again
2: i'm from american fork utah
1: utah american fork never heard of there is it anywhere close yeah. to uh, salt lake city
2: Uh it is it's actually highland
1: alpine area
2: right right over the point of the mountain
1: okay so, right, so let's dive in and learn a little bit more about you tell us about growing up you were a child
2: uh, when i was a kid i had a i guess it was a pretty decent childhood my parents we weren't rich by any means uh um i had severe buck teeth as a child uh so i was extremely picked on and bullied um very hardcore until probably my sophomore year in high school. When I came back to school, uh, the bullying stopped. So, yeah, my childhood other than that, my, you know, it it was, I didn't have very many friends. Um, Like I said, we didn't have a lot of money. It was, it's kind of rough. My parents did the best they could. I had awesome parents. Uh, But as far as me as a a child, um, I've got some pretty messed up memories, but what are some so of those memories? Uh, just getting beat up a lot, you know, being scared to go to
1: school, scared to go play, things like that. Yeah, I actually, I know the feeling. I've had some issues myself with that shit. Kids can be mean, right? Absolutely. Kids can be real fucking mean. Absolutely. So you said you had awesome parents. Were they together your whole childhood?
2: Um yes, they were actually. They still are together. Oh
1: that's like awesome. 40 years. Yeah. So at what it's, age did you ever first use uh drugs or alcohol?
2: Alcohol. Um we used to steal it from a a place called Weineger. So actually my theft career started fairly early too, and that was when I was in seventh grade. So and I smoked weed throughout my junior high and took pills, things like that, anything I get my hands off really to escape reality. And to um, think that I was gaining acceptance with my peers, I was pretty easily convinced to do things, coerced. <laughs>
1: What were you trying to escape? You said you just kind of to escape reality or whatever was because you said you had pretty good parents. Was there anything in particular you were running from? Well, just the bullying,
2: you know. Um, I didn't feel like I fit in ever. I uh, it was very socially awkward. Um, I tried really hard to to fit in, and I think that that is one of the underlying conditions of my addiction.
1: And like I said, I faced a lot of the same issues, but not feeling part of the crowd is a big blow to the ego. It is. It absolutely is. So who are you first? What's that? No, you go first. I'm sorry.
2: I said bullying stopped uh, when I became a junior in high school over the summer of, you know, between my sophomore and junior year. Um. I grew up, so then the problems with, I I simultaneously came back in and got in many fights in school. Those people that bullied me, um, I was getting kicked out of school every other week. It seemed like, not really,
1: but a lot, a lot for fighting. So once you grew up, you started taking out your aggression on your people that that, were abusing you. Yeah. Yeah. What did your parents say about this week This you say you got to out of school a lot?
2: Um, they didn't like it, really. My mother, she uh, I remember her make, having me make her a promise that I wouldn't fight anymore. And uh, I remember when I was in school, after I'd made that promise to my mom, another kid came up to me, and we got in a confrontation in the lunchroom, and he hit me in the forehead. And it had an impression of a D on his ring or something. I don't know what it meant, but I went home and uh, I had this big goose egg on my head. And my dad was, you know, what happened? I told my dad and and he said, well, do you want me to call his dad and have him be in the backyard? (laughs)
1: Like, you know,
0: my
2: my dad was the type that he didn't like me fighting,
0: but I better win, you know? strange. Yeah,
1: looking back, there are some strange things that our parents did. I think uh, someone said it best to me last week that we don't exactly come with a manual, so we don't know exactly how to act right all the time with our kids. Oh, yeah, and I found that out with my kids, so yeah.
0: So what was life like in high
1: school? You said junior high, you ended up bullied a lot in high school. You started not getting
0: bullied so much. Did it help your self esteem at all? Um, yeah, I guess a little bit, uh,
2: as far as you know, I, I didn't, I still didn't make friends easily. Um, I was very socially awkward. I didn't, we moved from when I was in my junior, junior year, I spent in Clutterfield High School. And then we moved down to, um, American fork later. And so I had a new group of people around me, but that was very clicky too. Uh, you had all the kids from Highland Alpine. There's a lot of money there. We didn't have a lot of money. So I didn't like have the, the, the nicest clothes I wanted, things like that. And so I, I really, I didn't like going to school. I slept a lot. I, you know, took a lot of pills, uh, drank, um, Smoked a lot of weed,
0: so you felt different. Yeah, oh, absolutely. What kind of pills were you taking so young? Um, just like,
2: uh, well, we we would you know do the classic Robitussin thing, and then we'd take uh, the Tylenol pills. Um, and we would take it uh, like five or six of them, you know, and uh, it would just wipe me out. But I didn't take things like any opiates or things like that, that early Adderall. I mean, not Adderall, but like the mini thins that they had back in the day, the little cross tops. Took a lot of those. What are those exactly? It's ephedrine.
1: So you're taking a lot of the -the over-the-counter stuff. Yeah. Yep.
0: That stuff gets messed up if you take off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what age did you start progressing along? Like
1: What did you do after you graduated high school?
2: After I graduated high school, I joined the military, uh, went to basic training, um, the oh, National branch. Guard, National Guard, Army, um, came back, uh, worked, uh, met my uh, wife, my first wife,
0: and uh, started to have a family. All this was, how, how old were you by the time this
1: happened? I was, I had my, my wife had my
2: son at, when I was 20 years old so you were real young yeah wow really young Yep, must have been a scary feeling it was and then it wasn't um at that point in my life uh I had a lot of friends um then you know my teeth were fixed uh I had jobs I had my own money I could do what I wanted to do basically um Having my son was the most incredible experience of my life, besides having my daughter. I really wasn't, I was nervous, uh, but I really embraced it. I, I loved i loved having a, a son, every father wants a son. Like I said, until uh, my daughter was born and then I had two more daughters after that and they all had me wrapped around their finger, so.
0: Did it
1: make you clean yourself up, having this kid?
2: Cool. Um, no, I still drank a lot. Uh, still smoked pot um, on occasion. I got in a car accident in 1995, uh, and that's where my um, addiction began with opioids. How old were you when this accident? What's that?
0: How old were you? said so it was 1995. Yeah,
2: 94, 95,
1: in that area. How old were you at that time? I don't know, what, 25, 26? And what kind of accident
2: would Um, I went down, I was living in Springville, and I went down to, uh, they had a Partyland video store on Main Street, and I pulled in in front of it like everybody does and got out to get uh, my video for the family, came back. Dumped in my truck, um, started it up, and a guy hit me doing almost 100 miles an hour, boom, from behind. He went into insulin shock, insulin coma.
0: Oh, and he just passed out on the wheel and was going that? Yeah. Did you get hurt?
2: Uh, yeah, I did. My L5-1 um, was ruptured. Still is. I haven't had surgery on it, but yeah. And that's when you
1: said you were prescribed painkillers.
2: Yeah, yeah, Lower tab at first. And then uh, once I grew accustomed to that, I talked my way into OxyContin and up to the races for about 25 years or 20 years.
0: In the very beginning, were you abusing them from the beginning or did it progress? Um, no, yes, yeah, from the beginning,
2: I abused them right off the bat. I can remember um, I had the, uh, you know, I was being prescribed Lortabs from a certain doctor and he prescribed me. Also, I told him that they weren't working, which they were, they would take the pain away, but I wanted to get higher, feel differently. And so he prescribed me Oxycontin, 10 milligrams and I had like 90 of them sitting up in the, in the cupboard forever. Well, I ran out of my prescription of Lortab and I remember taking two of the uh, 10 milligrams and smashing them up with the hammer and putting them in a glass of water, mixing it up and drinking it and within 5-10 minutes I was, that was the top of the world feeling for me.
1: I wanted to live there. Never heard okay. of anyone
0: smashing up and drinking it like that. Oh, no, crazy. Yeah. It was crazy. That's for sure. Then uh, doctor shopping, um,
2: many, many years of opiates and uh, Adderall became a factor at that time as well. So not the, not the hardcore drugs until I would already lost my, my family, my house and everything else. Then I started doing other shit.
1: Tell us about the progression to where you started and then when you started losing things.
0: Uh, At
2: first, I would only take um, my pills or get high on the weekends. I was working at Geneva Steel to play a steel plant that they had in Orem at the time. And on my days off, uh, that's, you know, the Friday night would come and I would go ahead and get loaded on my pills and then have some beers, have some friends over, whatever. And then that progressed to a daily thing. And then... I mean, we bought a house in 19, 1998 in Spanish Borg, bought our first home. I believe it was 98. I had been 97, but um, my kids, everybody was excited to have a house and stuff. We had lived in a trailer park earlier, but we had a really nice home now. And I probably, it took me less than a
0: year to lose it and get divorced because of my addiction. So, So how was your... Pretty fucking quick. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty fucking quick. So,
1: how, when you first started, how did it affect you, like, on a whole? How were you at work? Did it slow you down? Did it make you better, do you think?
2: No, it didn't slow me down at work, I don't think, because uh, Geneva still was a different place. Um, Numerous people and uh, numerous of the other employees my peers would would use drugs as well um i don't think it slowed me down but you know that's what an addict never thinks that it's it's messing them up but it's yeah. obviously I, I never lost my job over it i never filled the a, a ua or anything like that uh, geneva finally went they sold the plant and shut it down so
1: So, how long exactly was it before you were going off the rails? Was it a month? Was it a year? I mean, I know you said it was pretty quick.
2: Um, from when I first got prescribed opiates, uh, when I was off the rail, it was probably like it probably took a good five months to where I was running out of my pills, um, lying to my doctors, um, doctor shopping, uh, stealing pills from my parents, my sisters, my friends. Um,
0: yeah, I was off the hook, bro, off the hook.
1: How did you do your doctor shopping?
0: Um,
2: uh, word of mouth, um, or else I would just go to an urgent care clinic or the emergency room. A lot of times I would go there and then I started making my own prescriptions too as well.
0: Um, how'd, you do that? Been,
2: how'd I do that? Yeah, um, <laughs> I had a computer program. Um, I have a I'm a Microsoft certified systems engineer. I did that back in uh, 1999, 2000 when Geneva shut down. They sent us to school, um, so I was very I was pretty smart on computers. Um, I just make my own prescriptions, and for the DEA numbers, everything really. Yeah, I'd sell them. I sold a lot of prescriptions of OxyContin
0: to people. Just the paper. till I got caught doing it.
1: So, doctor shopping, how many, how many, I guess they went by bottles. How many bottles do you think you were getting, like, weekly?
2: I was going through probably... I don't know, 200 pills a month, so, but they were, you know, 40 milligram oxycontins. that's, that's a lot. Yeah, it's a big
1: one. Yeah. I think
2: the ones I used yeah. to take were 25 or 30. Uh, they make them in 20s, they don't make OxyContin anymore, they make the, the Roxy's or whatever they're called, but uh yeah, the Oxycontin
1: little blue ones. Way up.
2: Huh? The little blue
1: ones, 30 milligrams. Ones.
2: Yeah, those are 30, those are 30 milligram roxies. They call them Roxadone, same thing. Yeah. That's what I used
1: to get from my friends. I had an issue too. Yeah. But I had friends that would go doctor shopping and he would just go to every doctor and he already had a back issue. So he would just let them look at his back and he technically had an issue. And This is before they kept track of yeah. everything through computers.
2: Well, the, I know that my Doppel report, its a, back then they still kept track. There was, a, there was a public website that the doctors can go to and see everything, every prescription you've ever got. Really? And yeah, it's called a Doppel. Uh, mine was like four to five pages long. Usually they're like, like right now my Doppel report would probably have in the past three years, it would probably have two lines, you know not five pages worth of things. So I was I was going everywhere. I was going out of state doctors. Um, I had a big doctor in Pahrump, Nevada. Yeah, I was getting more pills prescribed to me than a, a freaking cancer patient.
0: Did any
1: of these doctors know? Because I know some doctors don't care. They'll just write scripts for money. Um,
2: well, my, my doctor that I got started on him with, he was actually a very good guy um a great a great doctor no he didn't know I think he believed me um but I also manipulated him very well I'm I'm a master manipulator um I would I befriended him I would go to church with him and his family on Sundays when I was out of pills you know so I could like hey look I'm going to church with you look you know I know God he knows me so then after the service I would tell him oh yeah hey I ran out of my script early. Do you think you could? And he would obviously write another one for me. The things we do. Craziness. That's only the beginning of the shit, the craziness of, of my uh, addictive career.
1: So um, tell it, us about the crazy yeah. shit. Tell us about it. Want to hear well, about the crazy shit. I started on
2: uh, heroin. Um, after I lost my family, uh, I began dating a girl that was much younger than me. Well, she was 21, but at this time, I was almost, you know, 30.
0: Well, um, take,
1: a, take a step back before that. How did you lose the family?
2: Um, my drug addiction. I was out of control with that. I was having an affair with the
0: neighbor. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll that do it quick. Yes. I'm sure that will. Yeah.
1: So, so the missus walked out on you and took the kids? Um,
2: actually, no. I, I asked for the divorce. But yes. um, She took the kids and went to her mom's. Yeah. And I stayed in the house uh, as much as I could. And I worked and uh, had my kids on the weekend, blah, 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 until uh, I just gave up the house, because at this point, my addiction had caught up with me, yeah. And I couldn't keep a job to save my ass. So I lost, you know, lost the house.
1: And then after that, you said you found a a younger girlfriend.
2: I did. I did. I found a younger girlfriend. Well, this was like a year later. Um, but yeah. And, uh, I got to back up a bit. I worked for a company after the Geneva Steel thing, and I got my MSC. um, I worked for a company that flew all flew me all over the United States, and I would install networks in Marriott hotels and Hyatts and Crown Plazas and things like that. Um, So it was a great job for me, as far as I'd be out of town, I could go into, I'd have free access to everybody's room in the hotel, Um, and you wouldn't believe the number of pills that I got from people I didn't even know or never
1: even saw. That's crazy. Just going into the bathrooms and stealing their shit? Yep. You ever walk in a room and someone was there still in the room? Oh, many
2: many times, but obviously I wasn't. (laughs) I just do my job very politely and cordially and leave. (laughs) But if I notice something there, you know, I might come back Say there was an issue, knock on the door, you know, go in. And if they weren't there, then, you know, handle my shit and grab their shit and bounce.
0: Never came back to you? No. No.
1: So where were you living once you lost the house?
2: Um, Spanish Fork.
1: So you got a new place.
2: Oh, no, I moved from Spanish Fork. That was my my house. I moved there to Orem, uh, just right by my work, right by where Geneva was. And then I actually had a, you know, that job and flew me all over. So I just basically
0: had a place to come crash. I was gone at, like a month at a time. So I was living in Orem. Were you by yourself? Was it an apartment, a house? What was the living
2: situation? um i stayed in a in a house with some roommates
1: were you the only one getting high in the house or yeah
2: yes i was as far as i knew i mean i didn't hang out with them you know just saw them during you know whatever i'd go in my room shut my door and
1: snort my pills So tell us more just about the overall life situation while all this is all going on. Why this was all going on? I was just trying to work,
2: um, see my kids as, as much as possible because my kids are were my everything. Um yeah, and I really, you know, I I don't know, I just I worked as much as I could and then saw my kids and did my drugs. Really,
0: that's that's all I that's basically the gist of it Till I found heroin. And then tell us what happens when you find heroin.
2: Well, um, like I said, I started dating a younger girl. Um, I had a toothache. Uh, and she knew it was bothering me. And she says, you know, I don't have any pills, but I do have this. And she pulled out what looked like a visine bottle. It was a brown liquid in it. She says, just, you know, snort some of this, stick it in your nose and squirt it and snort it. I said, what is it? She says, it's heroin. And I'd never seen anything like that. I've never, I didn't, you know, I knew what heroin yeah, never was. Heard this. Never, I never even saw it or whatever. So I did. I took it and I snorted it out at my nose and bam. Wow. There it is. Uh, I knew, I, you know, I've started buying balloons. Um, at this point, I wasn't employed.
0: What's a uh, balloon? I was just
2: mooching, mooching off friends' balloons. $10 balloons just come up to Salt Lake and the uh, cartel, you'd find you a runner, and that's how I bought my heroin. So one balloon would last me like a week. I'd put it in that little vizine bottle. I'd just take a little snort here and there. By the end of two months, I was going through 10 balloons almost a day.
1: So you were like spraying it like a...
2: Like a like nasal a spray. It is liquid. You take, I take the, you know, the Visine bottle, I get rid of all the shit out of it, the, the actual um, products, and then I fill it up, rinse it out with water, fill it up with water, and I put my balloon, you know, unwrap my balloon and drop my balls of heroin in it, shake it up, wait till it all dissolves, and then, I mean, it's pretty basic. But
1: I have never
0: heard of that before. Yeah, that's how I started heroin. So you said that's when shit went down.
1: Like what what really, what happened in your life that changed? It did. I started
0: uh, stealing from my roommates. I started um, just really not
2: seeing my kids when I was supposed to see them. Um, I knew I had a problem though. And I was, I thought, Okay, I gotta fix this shit. And so I actually walked in to the Provo Police Department. I remember walking up to the the building there and I was outside and I had about a quarter of a bottle of my little Visgene left of heroin. And so I'm out there in the parking lot sniffing as much as I could, but I wanted to leave just a trace in there. So I did that. Then I walked in and to the receiving officer was there. And I put my pill bottle, my visine bottle down on the counter. And he said, what's that? And I said, that's heroin. (laughs) And he said, "Um, okay, well, what's, you know what? And I said, I have a problem. I need you guys to arrest me and put me in jail. That's a fact. Anybody that wants to check my record can check it out. I walked in, turned myself into the Provo Police, spent 14 days in jail, kicking heroin. I thought that, you know, I was going to, make myself all better
0: is there a reason you didn't think to go to a rehab um you know i don't know why i
2: didn't think about i didn't have insurance number one um i wasn't working my family didn't have money um you know so i figured that'd be the the best and easiest
0: way for me to get clean which it did it got me clean for about five months So, interesting story so what um you stayed clean for five months
1: what did things get in those five months was things better for you
2: um yeah they were actually um i was able to find a job uh, i was paying my bills my rent i'm starting to see my kids again um yeah they were going better for me until um i had a doctor prescribe me ultram uh which he said was a non-narcotic, but it, it, it is morphine based. Um, so I took, you know, five of those instead of the one
0: I was supposed to take. And then I was right back on my pills. What were the name of the pills again? Ultram, Tramadol. Oh, Tramadol.
1: So this time did you go back on pills or did you go straight back to yeah. heroin?
2: No, mm-hmm. I, went back on, I went back on pills um, for a while, uh, for about a year. And then, um, yeah,
0: I went back on heroin. Then I, I graduated from putting it in a bottle to smoking it. What made you decide to, to smoke it? Um, I just wanted
2: to try it. Uh, that girl, I ended up uh, living with her, the younger uh, girl, and... I I watched them do it. They'd put it on tin foil and run their lines. And I, I just asked, you know, hey, let me try that once. And so I did. I tried it, and then, um, yeah, I went through all my paychecks,
0: uh, pawned all my shit, um, you know. But then, you know, and then I, I remember thinking
2: with that. You know, I see people that are here, people that use needles, or once in a while I'd seen somebody that would use a needle and I'd think, that is so nasty. That is just trash. You know, I, I would never use a needle. I'll, th- those people are just hardcore addicts. They've really got a fucking problem. I'm not like that. And it wasn't, it wasn't until I was homeless that I started using needles in North Dakota. Um, but it wasn't, you know, I ended up using a needle, becoming an IV
0: user of meth heroin and cocaine so who got you into the needles
1: what was the progression i mean first of all i guess my first question is you said you started smoking how long did you smoke it before you switched over um years
2: okay Years.
0: So timeline
2: years. i don't know and my mind, it takes, you know, my, my mind is still foggy, Jim. <laughs> I'm trying to get it cleared, but after it's still three and a half years since I've taken any illicit drugs or any pain pills or any opiates whatsoever. And, and I'm still, I, I try to remember things and it's like, uh, you know, so a long time before it,
0: I, I smoked, I smoked heroin for a long time. And then one day, was it just not working the way you wanted
2: no, what happened was uh, I I got my CDL uh, and became a truck driver, <laughs> which is nuts because I would take my pills and just get fucking high and drive a, a semi truck all over the United States. And um, yeah, anyway, that's a whole different story. But um, I was up in North Dakota working in the oil fields, uh, lost my job up there uh, because of I fell the UA for methamphetamine. Um, then I was just snorting it, and smoking it. And one of my friends up there, so called friends, he said, You ought to try this once. He's like, Let me hit you with this needle.
0: And so he did math, and that was it. I was an IV user. It's a lot stronger, I guess. Oh, yeah. That's a completely different
2: high, a lot stronger. Um, yeah, it's an yeah, it's it's nasty. It's uh
0: definitely definitely god shit. So how did you handle your job and your life
1: once you went back onto the uh drugs? How was it I was this time I had, around.
2: I had lost my job. I was homeless living in North Dakota. Uh, and I actually um found a guy that was squatting in a trailer on the Indian reservation there. Uh, the Three Tribes um, Reservation, and they—I was—I started selling math up there and and doing things like that to to get my drugs and shit. But I was uh, just a complete mess, bro, complete mess. So you lived in an abandoned trailer? Yep, in an abandoned trailer house up there. Yeah, just me and this other guy, was and then a, he would custody? get me out. Is there what was there electricity in the house? Oh yeah, we had we he he paid the bills. It was it was the deal was with the trailer. It was when the oil fields were up there. It was used in in the oil fields as a like a dispatch trailer, um, a corporate truck. You know, this is where they had their offices and stuff. So when that company left, he kind of took it over. Gotcha. So we had lights. We had water. Until he got arrested, and then the water got shut off,
0: the lights got shut off because I didn't have a fucking job. So, what
1: led you to eventually getting sober? Or is there anything else you want to talk about before you get sober? As far as Um, because you you said your truck driving was a whole other story. What what kind of so you you would be high while driving the truck?
2: Oh yeah absolutely 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 yep i did i I can remember um I got in a a wreck outside of Craig, Colorado, with double tankers uh rolled it like five or six times um you rolled it hurt but me
0: yeah oh shit
2: yeah, yeah, but I've had like uh, two or three- th- th- let's see three. Had one hell on collision, one rollover, and uh, one running off the road in a semi-truck. So, yeah, I've had three accidents uh, that should have killed me, every one of them. Thank God it didn't kill anybody else or injure anybody else. At that point in my life, I didn't really give a shit if I died or not. But...
0: And so nobody knows addition... you were... high. Yeah. Um, no? Mm-mm.
2: After I wrecked, obviously, and I, you know they took a blood, you know, sample, yeah, then you'd lose your job and lose your C.V.L. and things like that. But I got back and then just kept doing the same old shit.
1: Oh, I thought once you got something like on your record like that, you can never drive a truck again.
2: No, that's not true. Um, it used to. It, I don't know if it is like that today but I know several people when it's happened to me, you have, it's a long process to get it back. You have to go through counseling. You have to go through some type of rehab. Um, and then you can get it back. That's it. But I, I lost mine. I, you know, I don't care to get it back. Um, I was homeless in North Dakota. Uh, I ended up meeting a girl there that was, uh, actually a police officer. <laughs> and, yeah. um, she had a a roxy habit similar to what you had um except for she had a severe one she was going through it. her habit was a thousand dollars a day oh my god i had to get out yeah i had to get out of north dakota because i was living on the tribal land um weird shit was going on we were buying meth from you know the natives up there uh well then they didn't like it because i was the racial shit got involved um and they started harassing me. So I felt like my life was in danger. I had to get out of there. So I took this. This chick would give me $1,000 every day. She'd come home from work, and give me $1,000. I don't know where she got it from. I suspect that she stole it from people or whatever. But she'd send me every day to Minot, North Dakota, to buy pills for her. And so one day I decided I needed to get back to Utah because I felt like my life was in danger up there. I stole $1,000, stole a service pistol and a truck, and bounced to Utah. Oh, shit. Why'd you take the pistol? Um, Just protection.
0: I don't know. I was a junkie. Something of value. Did you sell it?
2: Yeah, I came down here to the block and sold it. I lived, you know, I was homeless on the block down here when the block was the block and it was uh, crazy with drugs and uh, people from all sorts, of people from all over the United States would come to the block and do their drugs. It was a pretty insane thing. It wasn't uncommon that by the men's shelter in the summertime to see two, three, 400 people down that whole street just packed. Shoulder to shoulder, doing their drugs in broad daylight, cops walking around. It's the craziest thing I've ever seen in my life.
1: It was that in North Dakota?
2: No, that was here. Utah? Was like
1: downtown Salt Lake, yeah. So it sounds like uh, your guy's version of Skid Row in LA.
2: Yeah, probably. Probably is. Probably. It was, uh, but I didn't stay here here um i stayed here for a minute and then uh i decided to go to las vegas um me and a buddy of mine went down to vegas and uh thought we were gonna just to see what it was like just to get away from this down there and that was a mess down there i was i was living in the storm drain tunnels underneath the city (laughs) really it was a mess yeah
1: what was that that like was that uh, crazy yeah Mm mm-hmm
0: was there
2: a lot, a lot of other stuff. people oh uh, yes those tunnels are full where i was at no there wasn't there was myself and i would booby trap myself 100 yards this way and 100 yards this way so you know if i could hear people were coming in at night uh, i wouldn't let them. that was my part of it that was my shit that was where i was so people respected that pretty much and stayed the fuck out of there so I'm not going to get into a lot of stuff like that. I'm trying to write all my stuff down. And um, eventually I want to publish a book with the help of my sister that maybe will help other people. But yeah, you'll have to see. There's a lot of crazy shit that I've witnessed and things that have happened to me personally um, during my addiction that I shouldn't be alive. Um, I shouldn't be able to talk to my parents. I shouldn't be able to have my kids. I shouldn't be able to hold my grandbabies. Um, I did a lot of fucked up shit and, but I'm sober now and I'm clean. So is that what you want to hear about how I got that way?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's what my next question was, how did you end up getting sober? What reason did you have?
2: Well, I came back from Las Vegas, um, came back to Utah here, uh, got caught with a lot of drugs, um, a lot of drugs. At this point I was selling drugs, doing drugs, um, whatever. I got caught. I was looking at severe jail time, uh, prison time, actually. Uh, I went probably, I, it's probably like the 10th time I've been to ADC in Salt Lake City, that, the county jail here. Um, and I just had enough. I remember when I went in there, I was withdrawing and they put me in the cell. As soon as I was by myself, I can remember getting on my knees and saying a prayer and asking my heavenly father to give me the courage to ask for something different, to try something different than what I'd done before. And, you know, it worked.
1: Was believing in God a new thing to you or had you believed in God your whole life?
2: no i was i was raised LDS um my entire life um as far as my own personal higher power that is my heavenly father um uh i know for a fact that he was with me in those tunnels i know for a fact he was with me in north dakota and i know for a fact that he's the one that helped me get clean so
1: So what exactly did you do did you go into a rehab
2: Um, I did. I stayed in jail there uh, for quite some time, um, trying to get into a a rehab because I didn't have any money. I didn't have insurance. Uh, At this point, my family had written me off. Um, So, yeah, I I actually got into a four-step house uh, rehab there. Um, I went through federal felony drug court and graduated that, graduated my rehab. Um,
0: Yeah, here we are.
1: Anything in you particular you remember that was hard to get behind you? Any struggles you had getting sober? Um
2: relationships, you know, uh that's just been hard. Um, I don't go to the meetings, I don't do the the 12 step meetings, the AA, the NA. Um, I've done them before, I believe in them, they're great, they help people, but they just weren't for me. Um, no, what worked for me was just Keeping my head down and going to work every day, paying my bills, which was a new
0: thing for me. Um, that's pretty much all I did. I'd stay to myself and work. Seems like it's pretty simple. <clears throat> no, <clears throat> it wasn't simple. Uh, by any means,
2: it wasn't simple. Um, my rehab was. Uh, pretty intense i had to graduate mrt um which was a pretty intense program i don't remember what is mrt i've got it right here let me grab it
0: so i can tell you what it is
2: it's like moral moral something therapy it doesn't say what it is all it does is show you the certificate that's awesome yeah, it is pretty cool. But um, yeah, it's pretty intense. Uh and then drug court, that was very intense. Um, I had Judge Skanky. uh, he's a no-tolerant judge. I remember I did like 190 something UAs in one year. So and at 15 bucks a pop, that shit gets pricey. You know, so it, no, but it wasn't easy, bro, by any means. Yeah, that's
0: something I want to hear I, about.
2: If I did, uh if I did mess up, and I knew this, if I fucked up, I would go to, I was going to prison for a long time. All of those charges that I got caught with would be compounded. I would be gone. I wouldn't get to see my kids. Uh, you know, my my first grandchild was born when I was in jail. And that was a big part, a big factor, because my daughter brought that, uh, my granddaughter to jail. And I got to see her through the glass and I was, I was done doing drugs, Jim, sitting in, in that jail, even before I did all that stuff with uh, drug court um, rehab, I was done. I I was done. I wanted to be, I wanted to be me again. I wanted to be, I don't know. I'm not even me again. I'm a whole new person. You know, I, I was just done doing drugs
1: that's great
2: yeah yeah it's incredible actually yeah. and uh that's why my higher power is my higher power because that's a miracle i was uh, as hardest of uh, hardest of the hard <laughs> addicts that, that i mean i was shooting up six times a day on my juggler you know you heroin you, meth, wow. and cocaine yeah all three drugs uh I didn't care if I lived or died. Uh, I wanted to die, obviously. Um, but when my daughter brought my granddaughter in there, I was that. from that day forward, I was done doing drugs. It's
1: great to have a motivating factor like that.
2: <clears throat> yeah, well, I wanted my family back, man. I wanted to be able to talk to my parents. I miss my dad. He was my best friend. And uh, I miss my sisters. You know, I've stole pills, money, and pills. I've manipulated them all for twenty fucking years, and uh, I get to. I get to. I visit my parents often today. I can go visit my sisters. I can call them. They talk to me, um, which is amazingly. I mean, that's a miracle in itself because I. I did some horrible things to these people to betray their trust. My kids, I abandoned them. They felt like. You know, during my, my girls' teenage years, the very rough times on a on a young girl. Where was I? I was in fucking Las Vegas in the tunnels putting a needle in my arm, selling drugs for the cartel. That's where their dad was. How impressive is that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it it uh I was very ashamed. Uh a lot of guilt. Carried a lot of guilt. I still carry guilt, but not not nearly as much. I'm happy today. I'm happy. I get to see my grandchildren. Um, I get to see my kids. Um, I get to see my parents, my sisters. Uh, I pay my bills. Um, I go to work. I work hard. I have things. Um, I'm happy today, Jim. I don't have that monkey on my back anymore.
1: That's a great way to put a monkey on your
2: back. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy heavy load, but it's not there. It's not there today. That's the great thing about uh, addicts. Addicts, in my opinion, are the strongest, most resilient people on this planet. Many a mornings I woke up in my addiction and didn't have a, a pot to piss in, money, anything, but I'd have my fix by 8 o'clock in the morning, Every day I'd find a way to get it I was going to get my fix yeah. so in that aspect addicts are resilient they're, they're strong people they're, the, they're courageous they're warriors man they're very tough people and when they finally quit and they've had enough and they come to the realization that I'm not going to do drugs anymore I am done um, they can get it all back man we recover we recover hardcore and we can be happy And, you know, I can look someone in the eyes and not lie to them. (laughs) You know, I don't steal. I don't don't have the post-its around my fucking bedroom that remind me, oh, yeah, you lied to this person about this. You know, so I would, I'm not, that's not me these days. It's not me. I'm a completely different person. And I love it. I feel like I've rambled on and mumbled and jumped around in your interview, but I was kind
1: of nervous, so sorry, buddy. <laughs> no, not at all. Don't be nervous. It's fine. Um, but no, that's that's just that's a story of some strength and courage. You were at your bottom and you worked your way out of it. Yeah. I did. And if I can do
2: it, anybody can do it. Yeah, I don't care, care what your bottom is, man. I mean, I was like I said, pretty much living in the sewers. That's yeah, pretty low. That's a hard bottom. That's a hard bottom. It's a hard bottom. And, uh, it's a hard bottom. and uh, I'm back and I'm happy. And I, I don't, I don't carry that weight anymore. And if I can do it, anyone can do it. They just got to
1: want to do it. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> what I was about to ask you is typically my last question is, do you have any advice for people that are watching or listening?
2: I would say my advice would be, if you're ready to quit and you're tired of being sick and tired, to find your higher power, whatever that may be, whatever it may be, and uh, hang on to it, grab it, grab hold of it, trust in it, and uh, it's not easy, it's going to be hard, you're going to wonder, where, you know, where am I going to sleep, where am I, where's my house, where am I going to eat, how am I going to get to work, how am I going to do this, how am I going to do that? It all works itself out if you truly believe and you truly want to quit and you truly want to not have that weight on your back anymore. You can recover
0: and you can change.
2: It is possible. It is possible. It's not easy, but it's
1: possible. Well, I just want to thank you for doing the podcast today. You're welcome, Jim. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just God bless you all and peace and love to everyone. Peace and love right back at you. So (laughs) I just want to thank everyone for watching and listening. If you like what you heard, go below, give us a like. Also subscribe to the channel. You'll get updated when we upload new videos weekly. Also check us out on Instagram and Twitter. If you go to our Facebook group page, You can go to the events tab and there you can see when we do daily Zoom meetings, it'll give you all the Zoom information to get you logged in. That's all we have for today and until next time.